If it does not please you to serve the Lord, decide today whom you will serve. The gods your fathers served beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose country you are now dwelling? As for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Every day we wake up and we get to make that choice. Whom will I serve today? Because we're in constant service to somebody, to some God. Right? We live our lives trying to uh, reach some kind of an end. Right? We have some sense of purpose each day. What gives us that sense of purpose? Which God are we serving? It's a question we answer with our actions each day. More often than not, or rather, more often than we'd maybe care to admit, the God that we serve is the person we see in the mirror as we're brushing our teeth. Right? My plans, my desires, my ideas, that is the absolute. Everyone else must bow down to that. And if they don't, my day's ruined. Somebody disagrees with me. Somebody gets in the way of what I wanted to do. Somebody makes me late to something that I had in my calendar. Whoo! Man, they have just disrespected the Almighty me. And, and, and we say that, and, and we think that's ridiculous. And yet, how often is it that we do it? And if not ourselves, sometimes we pick other little gods that we bow down before in our day-to-day -day living. Whether it be our work, whether it be our reputation, right? How people perceive us. Whether it be the God of our personal appearance, thinking the most important thing in my life is what I look like to other people. Whether it be physically or whether it be what they think of my personality, whether they think that I am intelligent and funny and all the rest. Image. Whoo! That is a God before which we bow down all the time, especially with social media. Right? We want to project something great. We're so terrified that people will realize we don't have it all together. And so we bow down before that God. We spend all of our time, all of our energy, give all of our affection to all of these little gods. And Joshua shows us the way when he says, y'all got to decide, right? Are you following the Lord or are you serving another God? I'm not going to make that choice for you, but I will tell you what I've chosen, and that's for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. He's all in. But you know, he has a reason to be all in. Because all of these other little gods, all of these other little things that we serve, they never satisfy. Right? I am a terrible god to myself. Right? Because when I am only serving my own plans, when I am constantly just focused on little old me and what I want, I'm a harsh master to myself, right? At the end of the day, I'm not kind and merciful. I'm beating myself up. Oh, how'd you fail on that? Oh, you look like such a fool in front of this person, in front of that person. Oh man, this is what they probably think of you. Or maybe that. Work, popularity, kind of a group of friends that we're trying to impress family, all of these different little gods that we serve, none of them are kind and merciful. At the end of the day, with all of them, we feel more condemned than we ever would before God Almighty. And so service of the Lord God is actually a sweet service.
Because that God that we serve when we serve the Lord is one that lifts us up from being slaves to call us sons and daughters. It's a God who says, yes, I want you to be in communion with me. I want you to follow my lead, but I don't want it to be a relationship of boss and worker. I don't want it to be a relationship of master and slave. I want it to be a relationship of love of father-son, of bride and bridegroom. Every single kind of love that you've experienced in this life is just a distant echo of that love that God has for you and and is an image of that relationship that he wants to have with us. He's not a harsh master. He's a lover. He's one who actually said, I love you more than me. Your salvation more than the blood in my very veins. That's what concerns me most. That's the God Joshua decides to serve. That's the God that, God, that, that asks us every morning, whom will you be serving today? Will it be all these little gods that you pursue that have never done anything for you, that would never sacrifice, lift a single finger to help you, or me, who have literally given my very life for you? so that you may have life eternal. You see, that love that God bears for us is shown so beautifully in today's gospel. But it's because we don't understand love that we completely miss the beauty of the Eucharist. Because only only one who understands love can understand the blessed sacrament. Because the lover says... I want to be as close as possible. I want to be in total communion. There is no part of the beloved that I don't want to be a part of. For the lover, enough is not a word in the vocabulary. Oh, yeah, I'm close enough. Yeah, we're in close enough of a communion. Yeah, just a part of the beloved, that's enough. No. God is a lover that says, you know what I love about you? Not just your soul. I love your body, too. Yeah, that body that you hate, that you despise, oh, I love it. You know those weird quirks about you? Mm, that's what makes you you. I love it. Even your weakness, I love it because that's your entry point for where my strength can come in and lift you up to a higher place. God says that to us, and we just don't believe it. Because we say, no, 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 God, you don't understand it. I'm unlovable. In this part of me or that part of me, in this part of my history, in this part of my personality, you can't possibly love me. You can't possibly want to be in communion with me. And he says, try me. Yes, yes, I do. That's the beauty of the Eucharist is that God sees us as creatures, spiritual as well as physical. And so he wants to be united with us spiritually as well as physically. He wants to nourish us in all of our being. And so that means the physical side as well as the spiritual side. And so he takes what nourishes us on a natural level, food. Right? If you don't believe that you need food, then try to go a month without it. And I'll celebrate your funeral here, right? Like, you need food to survive. That's the natural way we've been built. And so God speaks through that natural language of our being. What we need most And gives us a supernatural nourishment. In the most fitting way possible, he says, How can I be one with this my creature that is physical and spiritual? 
I know I will become the very food that nourishes them. I will give them spiritual life in a physical manner. And so he says that his flesh is true food and his blood is true drink. And 2,000 years later, a lot of people have a problem with that. Well, guess what? 2,000 years ago, people had a problem with it too. Because love is a difficult thing to understand unless you're in it. Right? Lovers seem crazy from the outside. You think, oh my gosh, you're going to spend the rest of your life together? Like, both of you are crazy. Okay, I guess that's complimentary crazy there. It seems so difficult to understand. But when you're in it, you say, oh, you just don't get it, do you? Are we in that relationship of love with God to where the Eucharist can begin to make sense? That we realize all of my being yearns for him and he wants to be in communion with all of my being. Because they had difficulty with it in John chapter 6. Many of the disciples of Jesus who were listening said, This saying is hard. Who can accept it? Since Jesus knew that his disciples were murmuring about this, he said to them, Does this shock you? What if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit that gives life, while the flesh is of no avail. The words I have spoken to you are spirit and life, but there are some of you who do not believe. So the gist of what he's saying there is, does this shock you? And yet you're the same ones who believe that God created everything out of nothing. Could that God who created all not enter into his creation? Could that God who entered into his very creation, that God himself took on flesh, could he not convert one thing that he created into another thing? Could he who made everything out of nothing not change bread into his body? We understand that he could, but we don't get why he would. Because we don't believe we're lovable. We don't believe we're worth that level of love that says, no, 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 I want to come even closer. Yes, I get it. You turned your back on me. And you're going to turn your back on me again. But I still want to be in communion with you because I love you. That's the God we worship. And yet, John chapter 6, verse 66. Right? The devil's great victory in John 666. Is that as a result of this, many of his disciples returned to their former way of life. And no longer accompanied him. Because sometimes we don't want to be loved. Sometimes we think, no, no, no. A God who can love me is no God that I want to worship because the standards are too low. And yet God, he's stubborn in his love. He says, no, no matter what you do, even when you abandon me, I will not abandon you. And it's that relationship of love, that kind of service that we Give to the Lord because we know that He loves us infinitely more than we can imagine. And so to serve Him is to reign. To serve Him is to actually enjoy life in a deeper way because we're serving one who has given everything for ourselves. It's that paradigm that allows us to understand what our relationships with each other should be. Because today's second reading, that one's a doozy. That's one that like people get their pitchforks and just start sharpening them. I'm like, oh, Father, unless you condemn that reading, I'm out of here. And yet, just as we serve a Lord who loves us more than he loves his very self. So there's this reciprocal nature that we serve the God who came 
Not to be served, but to serve. There's this mutual submission, this mutual subordination to where God Almighty, who has no reason to ever serve us, condescended and said, I'm going to not only serve you, I'm going to give my very life for you. And there he gives us the model in conquering the one thing that destroys more relationships than anything else. Do you know what that is? Give a guess. What do you think is the one thing that destroys more relationships than anything else? The devil? Okay, what else? Money? What else? Not communicating? What else? All I heard was a mumble, but you're probably right on. <laughs> Falling out of love. All of these things, good suggestions, but wrong. No, the thing that kills relationships more than anything else is pride. That wicked sin that destroys our soul, that isolates us from everybody else, because if we're right and everybody else is wrong, then how could we be in communion with them? They've hurt us. I'm never going re- to forgive them. Pride blinds us to ever see things from another perspective. It isolates us, puts us on this little island of, I'm the only right one, everybody else is wrong. I'm the only good one, I'm the only victim, they're all being bad. Pride is that thing that says, I will never submit to another. I will never subordinate my will to someone else's. I will never get on the same mission as someone else. It destroys relationships all the time. I see it every single day. I see it in my own self. That whenever there's a crack in a relationship that I hold dear, if I look at it long enough, I can see pride as the culprit somewhere. Where I felt that I was offended. And if they don't realize how wrong they were in offending Almighty me, then they're not worth my time. Pride is the number one thing for us to fight day in and day out because it's the thing that doesn't exist in God at all. God Almighty came down to be one of us, sacrificed his very life, and in sublime humility, actually makes himself our very food. Right? Brings himself to a place where he can be handled by us, mishandled by us, abused by us. And yet he says, if it brings me into communion with you, it's worth it. He has such a humility, and we in our relationships have so little of it. Whether it be kids to parents, parents to kids, whether it be spouses among each other, siblings, friends, wherever it is, we always say, no, I will not serve. And that is the anthem of hell. That is what the devil said with the fallen angels. He said, no, I will not serve. And so he was condemned by his own refusal. And we do the same thing. And so when St. Paul says, be subordinate to one another out of reverence for Christ, he means what he says. Notice that before anything else, he says, no, 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 all of you, be subordinate to one another. Be willing to say, yeah, this is what I want, but this is what we need together. So I'm willing to, for the moment, put aside what I want for what we need. Far too often, we, we take the we and, and we kind of forget about it because the I is the most important. Instead of saying, you know what? I'm willing to submit my I to the we. 
to what we together need. I'm going to nourish this relationship, and this relationship is nourished by humility and by love. Instead of just feeding myself with doing whatever I want, making sure that I get my desires fulfilled every day, whenever I want. And so it says, be subordinate to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives should be subordinate to their husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of his wife, just as Christ is the head of the church, he himself the savior of the body. We read that and ooh, our blood boils because we assume that to be subordinate means to be less than. We assume that to say to someone, you know what? We're going to go the direction that you choose here. Means that we, we are so much lower in dignity than them. And yet, you know what's incredible? God himself made himself in so many things subordinate to us. He lets himself be handled by our unworthy hands, received by our unworthy tongues. In the sacraments, he's willing to do what we say. Right When I say the words of consecration, he's there on the altar. When we say, I baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, he actually adopts this child to be his own. In our prayers, he actually serves us in so many ways. Not because he's less than us, but because his love is greater than we can imagine. May we have that kind of love for each other. Be subordinate to one another. Kill the pride and lift up the humility. Let it rise within you. He continues, because it might seem from the very beginning like, ooh, wives are kind of gypped in this. Like, be subordinate? Well, let's keep going. Husbands, love your wives. How? Even as what? As Christ loved the church. How did Christ love the church? Sitting back on an easy boy saying, Serve me, church. No, what did he do? He gave his life up for the church. He didn't say, Serve me. He said, No, I came to serve, not to be served. And that's how husbands need to love their wives. So that subordinate, the other word that could be used is submission. But what does submission mean? It means that we are under one mission. That the two of us come together with one mission, and that mission is to get to heaven, to help each other do that. And in that, there needs to be this mutual self-sacrificing love that Christ modeled for us. There needs to be this you-before-me mentality. Because that's ultimately the, God, the love that God showed for us. So we pray at this Mass that we can have that same kind of a love for Him, and that that can extend into that kind of a heroic love for one another. Because we were made ultimately not to serve all these petty little masters that we serve day to day. We were meant to serve nothing less than love himself. And by his grace that we receive at this Mass, we can serve that love himself, that love with all of our hearts.